Jesus is the supreme authority. We've been going through the, the book of uh, the letter of Jude, and that's been something that's been clear as we have been working through this letter, that Jesus is the supreme authority, and to reject Jesus is to reject all that is good and right and true. So the call that we receive as we read through this letter is to submit ourselves to him alone. Submit ourselves to him alone. To Jesus, we pay homage. We pledge allegiance. We swear fealty because he alone is sovereign. He alone is sovereign. We have authorities that are in place over us, like governments and employers and, and, so, and parents and so on and so forth. But all of those submit ultimately to the ultimate authority, which is Christ alone. Now, in our current cultural climate, in our current cultural context, the idea of submitting to a sovereign is a little bit abstract, isn't it? Because we live in Canada, we do indeed have a queen, but her role has become so ceremonial that, that it really has very little bearing on our day-to-day -day lives. Some of you may know that I spent a few years in the Canadian Forces Reserve, and when I first joined the military, I declared in a swearing-in ceremony, I declared this, that I would be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, Queen of Canada, her heirs and successors according to law. As our sovereign, Queen Elizabeth is granted a declaration of allegiance by every military personnel of Canada, and this is an act that is steeped in history. It's steeped in history. But one that feels so distant from our actual lives that I, that I think often we, we pay lip service to the concept with no real bearing on how we conduct ourselves, on how we live. See, our culture is so individualistic that, that it's hard for us to grasp what, what living for a sovereign truly looks like. And, and it's because of that that when we read through a book like Jude, we can miss this cultural significance of, of what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ and be submitted to his authority. But throughout history, this has been a very real and present reality. Those who lived under a sovereign have always paid homage and pledged allegiance and sworn fealty to that sovereign. And those who refused found themselves on the outside, on the outside of the protection of that sovereign, on the outside of a relationship, pardon me, a relationship with that sovereign and this is hard for us, right? Because as a, in a democracy like, like Canada, the, the reality is, is that we can accept or reject the authority of our prime minister and still enjoy the uh, benefits of being a citizen of Canada. We can still get health care and financial assistance that we need it and protection because we're still a citizen. But if you are in a, in a true monarchy, if you reject the sovereignty of the king or queen, the harsh reality is that they reject you. And you find yourself outside of their grace. Well, friends, we need to hear this morning that Jesus is the true ultimate sovereign. He is the true ultimate sovereign. And in the book of Jude, we see that, that there are only two sides. There are those who bow the knee, swear fealty to the king of kings. And there are those who 
do not. And the whole purpose for this letter that Jude wrote was for faithful servants of King Jesus to contend for the faith. Why? Because rejectors of Christ's authority have crept in and are distorting the truth, causing division between God's people. And Jude is calling the beloved, the faithful followers of the King of Kings, those kept for Jesus Christ to persevere, to persevere in contending for the faith by faithfully holding fast to him, by submitting to his authority. And brothers and sisters, this is the same call that we hear this morning, that we are given today. So for those of you who have been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we've been working through this letter uh, of Jude, and, and I'll be candid that um, when we first started into this series, I would have told you that I didn't know the book of Jude very well. But as we've worked through it, I'd have to admit that, that I didn't know it at all. And it's been fascinating as we've been going through uh, and we've been hearing the preaching of God's Word and we've been studying through this together, how deep and complex this letter is. And, and for those of you who don't know, we as pastors, we tend to, as we're working through our passages each week to preach them, we come together and we, we discuss this together. And it's almost like a plurality of voices who are coming around so we can best understand the text that is in front of us. And as we've been doing that week to week, I have been awed by the depth and detail and the complexity that Jude brings to this letter. It's really quite amazing. But I've also been wildly humbled I've been humbled by the overall message to submit to Jesus as the supreme authority. Submit to Jesus as the supreme authority and the reality that a rejection of the authority of Jesus is what ultimately drives us to corruption, to sinful living, what ultimately drives us to living for ourselves rather than for God. This morning... We arrive at the final two verses of the letter, and so if you haven't already, please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the letter of Jude, and if you're not sure how to find there, just kind of go to the very end and go back one book, okay? So like there's Revelation, which is the last one, that's the ending, you go back one and you'll get to Jude, but be careful, you might miss it. It is just one chapter, um, two pages on mine, but I think I have another Bible where it's only one page. So, uh, so go ahead and turn to the letter of Jude. And this morning we're diving into uh, verses 24 and 25. 24 and 25. And as you get there, perhaps your copy of God's Word, like mine, has a heading right before verse 24. Mine, the ESV says doxology. Perhaps yours says something different, or maybe you don't have a heading at all. For those of you who don't know, those headings that you find in the Word of God uh, aren't part of the text itself. That's something the editors have added in to help us find our flow and understand context a little bit better. But mine has the heading of doxology. And a doxology was something that New Testament writers often used to end their letters. And really what it is, is it's a declaration of glory to God. It's a declaration of glory to God. And in some of these letters, these New Testament letters, the doxology that's added is, is kind of like an, an add-on. Like they write their entire letter, they, they finalize their thoughts, and then, then they put in this declaration of glory to God. 
But in the case of the letter of, that Jude wrote, he actually, he masterfully links his introduction in verses 1 and 2 to his doxology in verses 24 and 25 to, to make this holistic flow through the entire letter. In fact, as we meet as small groups throughout the week, we're going to have the opportunity to compare that introduction to that doxology. But I'll leave that to you this week as you meet uh, and discuss that. Um, and, uh, but but this, these last two verses, in them we find what ultimately is, is a conclusion. We find a conclusion, and since it's the conclusion of the letter, it's safe to say that, that Jude is finalizing his thoughts in one final call, one final push to his readers, and the theme that's permeated through this whole book has been the authority of Jesus, and as we've been working through from section to section, we've seen this come up time and time again. We'll just take a brief survey here to see the authority of Jesus showing up through the book. If you look at verse 1, we see Jude who says, that he is a servant of who? Jesus Christ. Right? Putting himself underneath as a servant of Jesus Christ. Look, look down to verse 4, where we see that the ungodly are those who deny our only Master and Lord. Who? Jesus Christ. And then verse 5. We see that it's, it was Jesus himself who saved God's people out of uh, slavery and Egypt. He is the great I am, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who led them up out of Egypt and out of slavery. Jump down to verse 9. We see that in this extra-biblical example that Pastor Aaron kind of unpacked for us, which really helpfully, we see that uh, Jude uses this, um, this example of the most decorated of the heavenly host who calls Jesus Lord and submits himself to Christ as, as Lord. And then we jump down to verse 14 and we see that it's Jesus himself who comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to bring judgment. And in verse 21, we see that, that, that we keep, we're told to keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this idea of the authority of Jesus has flown all through the entirety of this letter. And that brings us nicely to verses 24 and 25. And so I'll invite you that if you're able to stand with me for the public reading of God's word, if you're able, um, and, and we're going to read verses 24 to 25, hear the word of the Lord. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. One of the things that, uh, that my family and I love to do when we're on road trips is to listen to audiobooks. Listen to audiobooks. And uh, just this past week, we went, uh, we went camping out on Lake Huron. And so we had a, a few hours of driving. And, and through the trip there and back, we listened to E.B. White's Charlotte's Web. And I have to confess, uh, many of you, I'm sure, love this novel. Uh, I have to confess that while I knew of it and I likely read it in elementary school, most of the plot had escaped my memory. But uh, it's actually an incredible 
book, really fascinating book, full of uh, rich characters and a touching storyline. But for those of you who don't know the book, it's the story of a pig who was born the runt of his litter and so therefore was destined uh, to be killed. But save for uh, a young girl who couldn't bear the thought and so she implored her father that, that she nurse this piglet. And, and he allows her, and, and so the pig grows, ends up on a farm, and we're introduced to many characters. I won't give away the ending. You can read it for yourself or listen to the audiobook. Um, it's, uh, it's quite helpful. Uh, and so uh, we're introduced to many of these, these characters through the book. The goose and gander are particularly humorous. Uh, the girl herself, Fern, goes through a transformation of her own, but I want to draw our attention to one character in particular. And for those of you who know the book will know this character. That This is the rat named Templeton. Templeton the rat. Some of you know him. Templeton is basically what you might expect from a rat. Okay, he's greedy, he's raw, he's rough around the edges. He'll only help others if ultimately it serves him. And so the other characters come to learn this. See, they tried on a few occasions to ask him for help only to be denied. And, uh, and so they learned that you know, if they're going to come and ask him for help, which they needed several times through the book, that they ought to, you know, appeal to his greed, appeal to his flesh, tell him what he's going to get from it first, and then maybe he'll oblige and do something for them. He's a rat that lives wholly and completely for himself, as you likely can tell from our picture here. He's, this is a, a scene where he's gorged himself at a fair, uh, which apparently has everything a rat would love, uh, so we're told in the book. It seems to me that this is such a, a fitting picture for our culture, and probably at times, if we're honest ourselves as well, isn't it? That often, you know, we're willing to help others as long as we can get something in return, right? If, if we're honest, I think we act that way sometimes provided we get something in return. Our culture has rejected the authority of Jesus and replaced it with the sovereign self. The sovereign self. This is likely not news to you because it's not really news at all because it's been the issue that's been around from the beginning, from the fall itself. Perhaps it's been emphasized in ebbs and flows from culture to culture, but the sovereign self has all too often attempted to dethrone the king of kings, Jesus himself. But the hope, the hope that we've been given here in our text this morning is that try as it may, the king has not fallen. The king has not fallen. No, brothers and sisters, let us rejoice in the glorious reality that King Jesus remains the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. And in light of this reality, as we join together to sit under the living word of God, we too are called to submit, to submit to King Jesus. We're called to submit to Jesus, to recognize his authority, to swear fealty to the only sovereign. And we see this call in our text. Look at, look at verse 24, the beginning of verse 24, now to him. 
See, the subject of the phrase here, him, is clarified in verse 25. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our submission is to the authority that's been lauded through this whole letter, namely, Jesus Christ, King Jesus, the supreme authority. And so we submit to him. And as we do that, the text shows us two realities. So for the first, first reality, let's look to verse 24. Now to him who is able, we see here, Jesus. Jesus is able. Jesus is able. This is the first in our text, but it's not first in importance. In fact, the grammar of the sentence here places this reality as as secondary to to the next reality, but it comes first in our text, so let's look at, at it first. This reality that Jesus... Jesus is able. We don't come to Jesus for his ability, but the reality stands that he is able. And what we need to see, uh, what we see here in verse 24 is that his ability is multifaceted. It's multifaceted. So let's continue reading here. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling to keep you from stumbling. The word here translated as from stumbling is, is really a fascinating word. In fact, it shows up only here in the entirety of the New Testament, uh, but it's used elsewhere, and it brings this idea, this imagery of a horse that is true and running without stumbling. So picture, if you will, an ancient battle scene, okay, with cavalry lined up on either side of the battlefield ready to advance, Okay, and each rider sits atop his steed, ready for the call to charge. And when the call finally comes, the horses begin at a, a walk. And then it, it increases to a trot and then, and then grows more to a canter until finally this horse, and each of these horses are at a full gallop, aimed at the enemy line. And as the rider sits atop that horse, he hopes, he trusts that the horse will continue at a full gallop till they reach the enemy line without stumbling. Holding fast, remaining true and strong. This is the picture that we get from this word when we're told that Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling. Friends, Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling. Or perhaps another way to put it, Jesus is able to hold us fast, regardless of what's coming against us. As we advance, carrying on in our Christian walk, we submit to Jesus. And when we do, and, and when we're truly submitted to him, he's able to hold us fast to hold us fast, regardless of whatever adverse circumstances come upon us. I'm so thankful for John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress because it, it lays out the reality that the journey of the Christian is not for the faint of heart. It's not. It's no easy saunter through a field of wildflowers. The reality is it's a, it's a tumultuous mountain climb. We have this climbing equipment here. Imagine and this, this imagery of a, of a mountain climber. It's, it's a tumultuous mountain climb, and yet, and yet, we can still honestly and surely say that this yoke that I carry is easy. And this burden that I have, it's, it's light. Why? Jesus is able. Because Jesus is able to hold us fast. He is able to keep us from stumbling. Friends, 
Do you find yourself battling unrelenting sin this morning? Saying, I'm fighting against it, but it keeps rearing its head in my life over and over and over again. And the call remains for us. Submit to Jesus. Submit to Jesus. Or do you find yourselves doubting? Doubting in the hope that you have had for years. That thing that you knew was true. Do you find yourself doubting? Friends, submit to Jesus. Are you suffering today? I know in a room this size, there are are several who are here, maybe just holding on by a thread. In the midst of whatever it is you're facing this morning, submit to Jesus. Submit to Jesus in faith. In faith, turn to him knowing that he is able. And he is able to what? To hold you fast. Submit to him in faith. You know, over the, over the summer, the youth group has been learning what it means to have faith. And from Hebrews 11, uh, verse 1, we've been talking about how having faith is about trusting in our foundation and leaning on the invisible. Trusting in our foundation and leaning on the invisible. We trust in the foundation of Jesus because it is sure, it is true to hold us fast. And, and, and we lean, even when we cannot see it, we lean on the invisible and know that we know that we know that we know that he will hold us fast because he has proven himself over and over again because Jesus is able. And he is able to hold us fast. And so friends, brothers and sisters, let us submit, submit to the authority of Jesus and allow him to hold us fast in the midst of whatever it is that he has led us to and whatever it is that he is leading us through. Submit to Jesus. But that's not all. I said it's a multifaceted ability, so let's keep reading. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Jesus is able to present us blameless. He is able to present us blameless. In the summer, uh, between high school and college, I worked a summer job at a company called Oak Run Farm Bakery in Ancaster. And this is a factory bakery that makes tons of food for retail sale across Canada. And we also, at least at the time, uh, made all of the bagels that Tim Horton sold across Canada. And so as a summer student, it was my job to kind of jump from line to line and, uh, of, of the factory and, and replace those who were on vacations, uh, those regular employees who were, had vacation time that they were scheduled. And one of the lines that I found myself on was the quality control line. Okay, now I don't know whose idea on earth it was to put a teenage boy on the quality control line. It was not a good idea. Uh, But there I was, and so it became my job for a shift or two, however long I was there, uh, to watch as hundreds of bagels for Tim Hortons Canada came off the cooling racks and to look at every single one of them and make sure that they were up to the quality standards of Oak Run Farm Bakery and Tim Hortons itself. Now, now I say up to the quality standards of, of the company, not the quality standards of a teenage boy, because really, as long as it's like hot, I'm fine to eat it, like I don't care. But anyways, we look for any deformity, any misshapenness, any blemish whatsoever, and be pulled off the line and put into a separate bin and sold as, 
you know, seconds for a lesser value because they still got to make money off them, right? Uh, but not at that high standard because it didn't meet the quality standards of the company. Well, friends, Scripture is pretty clear that the only standard that God works in is perfection. It's perfection. And so to stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God himself, we must be blameless. We must be perfect. And so the question arises, how on earth can we stand before God, before the presence of his glory? And the truth is, we can't. We can't in and of ourselves. Look at verse 24. Where does it say that we will be presented? Before the presence of his glory. For the presence of his glory. See, the truth is, is that each and every person on this earth will stand before the presence of the glory of God. And there are only two possible reactions for those who stand before the presence of the glory of God. Great joy and overwhelming fear. Great joy and overwhelming fear. And for those who have rejected the authority of Jesus, who have rejected the one true ultimate sovereign, when they stand before the presence of his glory, there will be only fear and trembling. Friends, if you're here this morning and you've not submitted yourself to the King of Kings, you stand opposed to him. So please, let me urge you let me urge you as strongly as I can, submit to Jesus. Submit to Jesus. Give yourself to the King of Kings because for those who are his, or in Jude's words in verse one, for those who are called beloved in the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, verse 24 gives immense and overwhelming hope. Look at verse 20, 24, the end of verse 24. Jesus is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. With great joy. On the day when we will stand before the presence of his glory, Jesus will present those who are his. He'll present those who are his. We will come with great joy. With great joy. Why? Because of the work of Christ. Not by any work of our own, but by the work of Christ, we will be presented. How? Blameless. Blameless. And because we will be blameless, we will stand with great joy, basking in the glory of our only God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, to the glory of his grace forever and ever. Amen. So submit to Jesus. Submit to Jesus because he is able. He's able. I said earlier that the reality that Christ is able is actually the secondary reality. It's the secondary reality. That, and that's because it is not Christ's ability that drives us to submit to him. It's not what he can do for us that drives our praise and our adoration. No. The primary reason for Christ's absolute sovereignty is found in verse 25. 
Verse 25, look at it. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. We submit to Christ wholly and completely because he is worthy. Because he is worthy. Jesus is worthy. The truth is, is there are many people and organizations and authorities who want us to submit to them and to, and, and, and to give ourselves to them. But Jesus is the, alone is, the, is worthy of our ultimate submission. Jesus alone is worthy of our ultimate submission. As creator and sustainer of this world, Christ is worthy of all praise and all adoration. As we see in the text here, he is worthy of complete sovereignty. Complete sovereignty. Jude here ascribes to Jesus four realities that show us the completeness of his sovereignty. He says here, to Jesus be... And then he lists these four assumptions and so uh, four ascriptions. And so, so to Jesus be these four things, belong these four things. And the first that we see here is glory. To Jesus belongs glory. This word for glory, it ascribes the idea of a great radiance to Jesus. Imagine, if you will, a great burst of light, perhaps the largest and most and the brightest firework that you have ever seen in your life. And then extrapolate that out exponentially. And we start to grasp the idea of what it means that to Christ is ascribed glory. And the second description that Jude says of Jesus is majesty. It's majesty. Majesty ascribes this idea of a royal demeanor. Because royalty has a demeanor about it, doesn't it? Perhaps you've seen them on TV and you've just seen the way that, they, the, that royals conduct themselves and there's just a demeanor about them that often when it's people, if we're, if we're honest, it probably comes off as like arrogant and entitled often, right? It's because at the root of it, we know that as people, they're ultimately not worthy. They're not worthy of it. Not so with Jesus. Not so with Jesus. No, being God himself, Jesus is holy and completely worthy of that royal demeanor. And so all of those negative connotations fade away. And there stands Jesus. Clothed in glory. And standing in majesty. And the third description that is, that is given to Jesus here is dominion. Dominion. And here Jude, he looks to the control of all things that Jesus has. Yesterday we drove into Toronto and we passed by Pearson Airport and as I, I looked out I saw, I saw the control tower of, of Pearson International Airport and it, it struck me just how much control that tower has. Now there's multiple people working in there, working for that control, but the amount of control that that tower has for an airport like Pearson is incredible, isn't it? Think about the complexity of the amount of aircrafts coming in and out of there. That tower controls who and when and what can come in and out of that airport. Now think about that reality and how incredible that seems to us and then spread that out to the entirety of the universe. 
right? Like, like I said, we went camping this past week, and one of the things I love about camping is that you get to escape all of that, uh, that light pollution and look up at the sky and see this amazing array of stars, more than you see ever within the limits of the city. It's incredible. The entirety, and that's even just like a fraction of the universe. So like expand that out. And that is the dominion. That is the control that Jesus is given. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? And the Bible says that not even a hair falls from your head that God doesn't know about. Not even a hair falls out of place. This is the dominion of Jesus Christ. And the final description that Jesus, to Jesus that we see here in Jude uh, 25 is authority. It's authority. And this description connotes an absolute right to rule the dominion that he's been given. Perhaps you found yourself on the other side, on, on the, the opposite of this, where you've been given a responsibility like a work project or a team to lead or, or a job to complete. You've been given that responsibility without be actually being given the authority to carry it out. It's a frustrating place to be, isn't it? Right? But not so with Jesus. No, he is given the complete authority, the, the complete right to rule over that dominion, that extensive dominion that he's been given of the entirety of the universe. Jesus has the right to rule it. To Jesus be authority. And all of these ascriptions, all of them add up together uh, to showcase for us that he is holy and completely worthy of ultimate complete, holistic sovereignty. He is completely sovereign, ultimately sovereign, absolutely sovereign. And so friends, let me urge you again, submit to Jesus. Submit to Jesus. See, the truth is, is that, that I don't know many of you intimately. There's some of you who I've sat and I've, I've heard your story. I've walked with others of you in an extensive way. But many of you I don't know as well as I would like. And so it would be difficult for me to give you specific examples of how to apply this text to your life. In fact, I often I, I don't like giving specific examples of how this text might apply because then, you know, that gives people an out and they go, oh, well, the preacher, he didn't tell me my specific circumstance, so this text must not apply to me. And so I, I need us to, to, to look at the text and hear the Holy Spirit teaching us what's the implication for my life. So I can't give you specific examples, but what I can do is I can say that, that you're likely at risk of the same thing that I'm at risk of, which is to reject the authority of Jesus even for a moment. Those, the most faithful followers at times do this because the truth is that every time we find ourselves out of step with the walk of God, not walking with the Holy Spirit... We've rejected the authority of Jesus in our life anytime we find ourselves in sin. Even for a moment, we've rejected the authority of Jesus in our lives. Maybe that's in a relationship. Or perhaps that's in how you are interacting with a member of the opposite sex or the same sex. Or maybe it's in the way that you deal with your finances. Or I want you to prayerfully consider where in my life have I rejected the authority of Jesus and I'm submitting actually more to the sovereign self? 
and allow, submit to Jesus in that and allow him to work in and through your heart, leading you to those areas. And then once again, submit those to him because he is able to keep you from stumbling, to hold you fast. He is able. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never bowed the knee. You've never bowed the knee to King Jesus. And, and, and hear me, I understand that this is monumental of a concept for you. Because it means dethroning yourself and looking to the rightful heir of the throne in your life. But when you submit to Jesus, when you submit to Jesus, he is able, he is able to present you blameless. Blameless, regardless of what it is that you have done in your life. Regardless of where you find yourself right now, he is able, if we submit to him, to present you blameless. Blameless, friends. Submit to Jesus. Now we're going to respond. We're going to respond to God's word by singing back to him. Singing truth. Earlier we sang the song, Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And this is a song that's uh, that written by, by what is quickly becoming one of my favorite bands, City of Light, and I can't commend them to you more. Uh, if you have a streaming service, go and, and search City of Light. Go on YouTube, search City of Light, and listen to their songs. They're incredible. You'll be blessed. I have been blessed by them. They just went on Spotify this week. I saw they released a new album and was wildly blessed and given immense hope this week as I listened through it. Uh, but we're going to sing another song that's written by them, uh, and it's called Jesus Strong and Kind. It's been around for a little while, so maybe you've heard it before. If not, it is fairly easy to follow through, and the words will be on the screen. So, so feel free to sing along with us as we sing these truths back. And if you haven't heard it and you're having a hard time singing along, then just, just let, it, let it teach you. Close your eyes and listen and let the words flow in and let, let, let the Lord work in your heart as you hear these words sung. And we're going we're gonna to hear about how the reality that Jesus is able to hold us fast. And the reality that Jesus is worthy. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, King Jesus, Lord, I pray we would submit to you as King of kings and Lord of lords. To you be all honor and glory and majesty and dominion and authority from before all time, now and forever. And all God's people said, amen.